Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in BC. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. We start with the construction of the Broadway subway and the impact that is having on businesses along the Broadway corridor. It's been a nightmare down there for some businesses just trying to survive the construction chaos down there. Have a listen to this from Global News. This is, you'll hear from the owner of the Subway Sandwich Shop, Sarinda Sanga here, who's had to close down her business. Have a listen. Sarinda Sanga has run the Subway Shop on Broadway near Camby for the last 13 years. At the end of the month, she'll be closing. Business has dropped 75% because of the subway construction. I get like a credit line. From my home, then we pay the rent, and uh, this is why we decide to close the business right now. Yeah, she got a home equity line of credit, try and keep the business afloat, borrowed $50,000 and still wasn't able to make a go of it, had to sub, uh, shut down her sandwich shop on Broadway. Lots of other businesses along Broadway also feeling the impact of the construction. Uh, let's talk to one right now, Santipin Centivel, who is the owner of the Greens Organic and Natural Market. And I'm very pleased to welcome him to the show. Santipin, thank you for coming on today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you bet. Where is your store located? Uh, we're on Maple and Broadway, so we're about a block away from Arbutus, the last stop of the SkyTrain. Okay, so so what? tell me about the construction and how it's impacted your uh, store there. Well, this year, last year, I lost uh, over one point two million dollars in sales, and oh. the year before that, I lost uh, around four hundred thousand. So it, it's a, it, you feel it. It's a pretty big, significant impact. I have about uh, four hundred thousand dollars in, in debt now because of the SkyTrain construction. And despite all our pleas to every level of government, um, uh, they they're just not even acknowledging the impact that they're caused their the impact that their construction is causing businesses. They just refuse to accept it. Um, from everyone from the deputy minister of transportation to the minister of transportation to the minister of finance and all the di- various ministries have approached. Um, they're they're still trying to they're still trying to deny that the fact that there is cut and cover and that this is a long term project. We're still trying to get them to accept that this is actually a long term project, not a short term project. So we're we're talking to a wall half the time, and more and more businesses are approaching me. And we 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 did have some luck with the city. It looks like uh, the uh, the city did approve uh, approve a, a motion, but since then um, I've met with a couple of councillors, Councilor Dominiato, um, and she's been. They've been both these councillors have been great, uh, but I don't know how mm-hmm. effective they're going to be. Yeah, well, I'll be I'll be talking I'll be talking to Councillor Dominato here in uh, after I speak to you, Santip, and so we'll we'll get an update from her. Can you describe the situation down there near your store? Like, what kind of construction is going on, and why is it why is it so badly impacted your business? So, well, there's a full on uh, uh, cut and cover in, in front of our business and the block next to us. 
There's no parking uh, on the street and around the, around the way they've taken away. Like they've literally taken away 12 kilometers of parking across Broadway for all businesses in Broadway. So you can't replace 12 kilometers of parking. There's no way you can replace it. Like it's gone. Um, so there's big trenches. It's like Arbutus is a nightmare for people to walk. We're virtually cut off from the other from the north side of the street. So most of our business was from the north side of the street. We're, we're losing a lot of our customers from the north side. And it's just very difficult to get to us. Uh, it's pretty unsafe yeah. for people to walk. Um, I thought they were – These. I remember they said they were going to tunnel this thing, though, right, to reduce the uh, reduce the impact. But a lot of it still is cut and cover? Well, every station is cut and cover. So yeah. anywhere there's going to be a station, they're going to cut and cover. Um, right. The other areas – I think that, that was their big play. They thought that if they tunneled, they'll, they'll minimize the impact on businesses. Right. But, they 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 didn't really inform us about the the impact of the cut and cover in each location. They said it was going to be a localized cut and cover. Um, also, they didn't they didn't account for all the parking they took away from all the business and how much of the, how much it affected the traffic and the flow of people walking through or coming through that neighborhood. Okay, that sounds like a lot of money you're burning through there in lost business. Now you've launched a lawsuit, right? Yeah, I'd launched a lawsuit, and also we have a, a petition. I have over, like, 3,000 signatures in the petition, people that agree that the, the, the provincial government and city should be helping us. Uh, the lawsuit yeah. is probably going to be a futile. It's not going to work, probably, because the, um, the province has done everything they can to prevent themselves uh, from, getting, uh, from, from having any responsibility, and they're virtually immune from any kind of lawsuit. So it's, it's a Hail Mary. What would you, okay, what would you say, Santeeva, to people who are listening saying, well, okay, I understand this guy's business is being negatively impacted right now, but once the project is complete and that Broadway subway is there and there's a, there's a station, there's a busy station near your store, maybe it's going to work out for you in the long run. Maybe with, maybe your business will go up once the business, once the project is complete, right? Well, I first want, I don't know if they have any studies to, have been fully constructed that the, the nature of the, the businesses will thrive and at what percentage they will thrive. So first of all, there's no real facts on how much, how much of a benefit we'll get after the construction. Are we yeah. going to see, but we're, for, but the, the, the lady of subway you just heard from, you can go to, go ahead and tell her she'll be fine in five years. She doesn't have five, yeah. year, five more years. I don't have like, at, at the point that we finish they finish construction let's say I'm in debt, uh, uh, one and a half million to two million. So I'm going to have to get enough sales to recover that money and keep my business afloat after. Uh, yeah. that, that's a lot of money. And I don't know if you can ever get, come, get that money back. I don't, so, I, I don't know how much of a SkyTrain, how much they could do, how much the SkyTrain is going to bring us, uh, how much in business is going to bring us to help us recover all that loss. Right. So you believe, therefore, that the city and, the, and or the province or probably both should step in and, and what, compensate you? Well, first of all, they should actually have a real dialogue, an honest, fair dialogue, a two-way, two-way dialogue, not them dictating to us the terms of what's happening, and help and, and look at options of getting best practices to mitigate loss of business, loss of businesses. That's the first thing. It should be honest and transparent, and they should actually want to do it, which they don't. Um, second thing is, yes, they should provide a program similar to what Montreal has done in other cities all around, all around the world. When they're doing long-term construction, which is you know, six-year construction is a long time. Um, they should provide some sort of help. Because our properties are not worth the same as they used to be before the SkyTrain. Uh, you know, they should at least help us compensate the rent and, oh. uh, and give us various, uh, various options like programs to help us uh, uh, survive through it. Okay, how much do you think you should, you should get? I mean, you, 
you you described how much your your business is down. Like, how much do you think you should receive to keep afloat? Well, I I I I don't want I I can't expect the government to solve all my problems, so I don't want to throw out a number there. But in Montreal, what they've done is they give fifty thousand dollars per business per year to help okay. them uh, to help them, and they can use it that for anything they want. They can use it for marketing. They can use it for rent. So that could be one thing. Even just giving us a break in property tax and prop and and uh, mm. to help us, like I'm paying about twelve thousand dollars. Oh, sorry, uh, twelve thousand dollars additional rent. If they were able to help us with that, the the property tax element of it, which is probably roughly let's say six thousand, that's a big impact for us. That's going to help us. You know, that's that's seventy two thousand dollars less than we would have had to pay. Um, you know, the property right. tax has like the property has gone down in value as a result of this. For in terms of commercial uh, com- for, for commercial uh, res- uh, for commercial tenants so there is a big a significant drop in in what that value is for the property so i, I, I that's a that, that i think is fair like you know give okay. us a break in property tax all right thank you for coming on today we're following thank it closely you. appreciate it thank you have a good day yeah. The busy Broadway corridor blanketed by construction, streets fenced off, pedestrian walkways closed, and parking is almost non-existent. I've had businesses leave uh, just because you can't, you can't get to them. There's a, a level of frustration. We're holding our collective breath um, for when this, this deck behind me is done. The global news reporter Krista Dow there on the Broadway construction and how it's hammering uh, local businesses. You heard from Subway sandwich shop owner Sarinda Sanga earlier, too. She's closing her business down. Uh, Tim French is the producer of the show. Tim, uh, you, you walk that area a lot, right? You know that Subway sandwich shop. Yeah, so I have to walk past that subway, or like I have to walk along Broadway to get to the grocery stores that I like going to. And it wasn't until we began airing this story about it closing down that I realized that there was even a subway there because it's that invisible. I walked past it every single or almost every day for the better part of six months before I realized that it was there. Well, that that sums up the problem right there. And and you didn't know it was there because, what, of all the construction fences and stuff there? Yeah, the fencing that they have up makes it a very narrow sidewalk, so you cannot see any of the signs. Yeah, yeah. And that's tough, man. She's been running that store a long time. She's shutting down. Thank you, Tim. Let's check in with Vancouver City Councilor Lisa Dominato now. Councilor, thank you for coming on. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me on. You bet. Thanks for doing it. You get a really feel for the businesses down there. A lot of them getting hammered by this construction. Absolutely. I mean, they're very real, legitimate concerns from these businesses. I mean, as you've heard, um, many of them are experiencing significant financial losses, but in many cases, they've had to lay people off. Um, They've had to close businesses. And and we even heard uh, with the dollar store owner, she had to remortgage her home um, because she's in a lease that goes till 2026. And so this is incredibly um, challenging for these local businesses. Okay, what can the city do for them? That's a great question. I mean, as, as you know, um, some of the efforts that we've made in working with the province was to try to mitigate the impact um, of construction, and that was partly the temporary bridge decks, the added signage, um, trying to uh, address the fact that there would be a loss of parking. So there has been some added parking put on the side streets and loading zones. Uh, but we recognize, and I've been meeting uh, Councillor Rebecca Bly, and I've been meeting with a number of the businesses in the area, recognizing that despite those mitigation efforts, it's still uh, very challenging um, to play around the loss of parking. 
So one of the things that we did do um, just at the end of last term is that we supported a motion um, to look at uh, compensation opportunities and and, uh, drawing on the Montreal model that was referenced um, and having our staff look at that. Um, Edmonton is also looking at a similar option for providing relief. And the Montreal model is a partnership, though. It is not the city going it alone. It's the the provincial government there uh, playing a key role in terms of uh, financing and support. And so that was something that we were interested in looking at, and we're expecting a report back from city staff in uh, March or April of this year around what options we may have at our disposal. Okay, but you need the you need the province to step up to your, to the table here too, right? Absolutely, and and I think that's uh, part of the work going forward now. Is that at the time of that motion, we did write uh, then uh, Minister of Transportation in the province uh, regarding. Um, getting the province to look at uh, options uh, around uh, some sort of compensation package or program. But we have a renewed mandate. We have a new mayor. We have a new council. And I think there's an opportunity here for us to um, basically revitalize that advocacy. And, uh, you know, I was listening, and I'm sure you were too, with the throne speech uh, this week, um, noting in there that, you know, with a projected $6 billion surplus of wanting to put that to work for the people, to support people, I think it's a perfect opportunity to be having a conversation with the province about how perhaps some of that $6 billion surplus could go towards a a time-bound program to support these businesses that are really struggling along the Broadway corridor. Yeah, I get deja vu on this one because I remember the businesses on Camby that were hammered by the Canada Line construction, and they fought for years for compensation. I don't believe they ever got a dime. Yeah, Absolutely. And and so I think the, the proactive approach here would be is to, you know, if we can sit down um, uh, with, you know, a provincial minister of finance and minister of transportation and infrastructure and have a conversation about how can we put in place a short term program that provides some relief. As you heard, uh, it, uh, you know, the program in Montreal can be capped at 30000 40000 per year um, to provide some support to these businesses, because um, we've still got you know, three years ahead of us here. It's not a, a short-term a short-term infrastructure project. It's a five-year project. How about giving them a break on their property taxes like one of the merchants there just suggested to me? Mm-hmm. Well, certainly that is actually one of the areas that we ask staff to look at is um, okay. around the property tax um, aspect. Um, the caveat there is, is that uh, we need to ensure that businesses benefit from that uh, because not all businesses are actually the property owners. Um, they're leasing oh. space. And so... Yeah. Um, with triple net leases, we'd need to see that that benefit, you know, flows down to those small businesses. So, okay. um, I, you know, ideally you see a program like Montreal where the businesses themselves get to apply for that relief. And, but again, as you said, it, it really needs to be in partnership with the province. Right. Uh, and- okay. Councillor, thank you for your time. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Mike. All right, let's talk about the newest airline flying out of YVR now. It is Porter Airlines of Toronto, their new service route between Toronto and Vancouver. They're celebrating their first flights on this route this week. Checking out the company's news release on this. The flights feature hospitality and generous service. The signature service features complimentary beer and wine served in glassware along with a selection of premium snacks on every flight. They also say no middle seats on their aircraft. You don't get stuck between two people on the flight. 
This sounds like a little bit of sort of older school hospitality, doesn't it? Let's go back in the Wayback Machine here. Listen to this ad from CP Airlines. Let CP Air Holidays carry you in style. With steak and champagne meals, free in-flight movies, and wide-body coverage. Next stop, beautiful Puerto Vallarta in sunny Mexico. Airfare plus seven nights accommodation from as low as $489. CPR Holidays at Puerto Vallarta, the ingredients for a perfect winter getaway. For details, call your travel agent. Okay, they had me at steak and champagne service on the flights. Let's check in with Kevin Jackson now, Executive Vice President, Porter Airlines. Kevin, thanks for coming on today. You bet, Mike. Thanks so much for having me on. That was a, a great old spot you played there. That was exciting. Well, it is like in the old days for people who are old enough to remember what it was like flying when you had complimentary meals. You didn't have to pay for your meal and the drinks were free and you get a blanket and a pillow. And yeah, <laughs> that's old yeah. school stuff. But tell me a little bit about Porter Airlines and what you're trying to accomplish here because you're trying to bring back a little bit more service on the flights, right? Absolutely. Well, I think what's important, we're new to Vancouver, of course. Uh, we started our service to Toronto just this past Tuesday, but we're not a new airline. We're certainly not new to Canada. We we were born 16 years ago in Toronto, and over right. the last 16 years, we've built a pretty good sense of service throughout eastern Canada. So we're well known for that in eastern Canada, and now we're bringing it here to Vancouver. And you did a really great job of, of trying to introduce how we're differentiating ourselves uh, what's really important is Porter really targets the economy traveler. With an elevated experience, you're just not going to find with any other airline. And you highlighted some of them, the free beer and wine for everyone on board the aircraft. There's no middle seats. There's free Wi-Fi for everyone on board the aircraft. Mm. Uh, and then the meals. Uh, you did mention meals. We are offering great, fresh, healthy meals on board the aircraft. They can either be purchased on board the aircraft or they're part of the passenger's fare an affair that we're calling Porter Reserve. So we really are trying to elevate the economy air travel for passengers in Vancouver. Okay, so speaking of economy, how much is a return flight Vancouver to Toronto? I know you were selling some at a, for just a dollar there as, a, as an introductory special, right? <laughs> we did to celebrate the launch of our flight here this past <laughs> Tuesday. But passengers right now, we've got fares in the market as low as $299 round trip. Uh, to okay. Toronto, uh, and that gets you, you know, all of the elements we talked about, the free beer and wine, the no middle seats, the free Wi-Fi. Uh, so, yeah, there's there's a lot of value involved in that $299 round trip. Okay, free beer and wine served in, in glassware, so real glass, not a plastic plastic cup. That's correct. Okay, and how many, okay, when you say free beer and wine, is it like one per passenger? Yeah, so when you're in what we call Porter Classic, which is our main part of the economy cabin, we're doing uh, two services of free beer and wine. Uh, and then outside of that, if passengers would like additional beer and wine or cocktails, they have the ability to purchase additional as well. If you're seated in Porter Reserve, which is another uh, section within our economy cabin, that free beer and wine is free flowing throughout the flight. Whoa, whoa, okay, party time to Toronto there. Speaking to Kevin Jackson, Porter Airlines just started their their service out of YVR. Now, you mentioned that no no middle seat on the aircraft. So what kind of aircraft are we talking about here? 
That's right. So this is the Embraer E195E2, which um, has been flying in other regions of the world for a number of years now. But Porter is the launch customer for this aircraft in North America. What's great about this aircraft is by the way the aircraft is laid out, there is no middle seat on board. It's two-by-two configuration throughout the entire uh, cabin. And so not only does that create great passenger comfort, but it's also great from a uh, sustainability perspective. This Embraer E195E2 is the latest technology. The the noise footprint of this aircraft is 76% smaller than other narrow-body aircraft. It burns 25% less fuel per passenger as well. So not only is it a great passenger experience with the comfort on board, but it's the latest technology that's allowing us to make sure that we're uh, providing service in a sustainable manner. Okay, it's interesting to hear an airline talking about, you know, free drinks on board and free Wi-Fi. It seemed like the more recent trends is to cut back on a lot of free stuff or charge people fees. Do you think that, like, do you think people are sick and tired of the cuts and maybe they want something free on board? Is that, like, what are you trying to accomplish with, what's the message there? So two things. One, we've been doing this in Eastern Canada now for 16 years. You know, this this is not new to Porter. We've been offering free beer and wine and premium snacks in, in our network up until now. So what we're bringing really is the existing Porter brand and experience, but on longer haul travel. And as we were building this product for longer haul travel, we did significant market research and we spoke to folks throughout Canada, including in Vancouver, and especially people who fly regularly in economy. And there were some very common themes about how economy travelers feel today from other carriers in the market. They feel dehumanized. It is not an experience many travelers look forward to doing. And we really set out on a mission to say, we're going to take the brand of Porter that we're well, we are well now, known for, and we're now going to elevate economy air travel across North America for Canadians who are traveling across Canada, but also down into the U.S., into the Caribbean and Sun destinations. So the consumers told us what the experience is like in economy, and we set out to do the exact opposite with that. Okay, I'm, I'm trying to picture the aircraft here now when you're describing, like, no middle seat. So there's, like, two seats on each side of the aircraft and I yeah. guess an aisle down the middle. So it's like we're talking a smaller aircraft. We're not talking a jumbo jet here. It's not a wide body aircraft, you know, it's right, not a right. 7 or a 787. But this aircraft is 132 seats, so it's the same size as the smaller versions of the Airbus A220 family and the 737 family. So it's it's in that same range of narrow body size. The difference is the fuselage is a bit longer but also a bit narrower. And that's what enables us to do two-by-two seating for the full length of the aircraft. Traditionally, what you see on most aircraft is the only people who get two-by-two are paying a really premium fare in business class, and then you get into the economy section and it's three-by-three. So a little bit narrower footprint allows us to have two-by-two along the full length of the aircraft. But it, is the, it carries the same number of passengers as you'd see on some of the other narrow-body aircraft in the market today. What's it like running an, an airline these days in, in our country in the aftermath of COVID and all the travel restrictions and all the hassles and problems we've seen at airports, including at, at YVR? I mean, man, this has just been a difficult time to be trying to run a, an airline, I imagine. Well, certainly the whole industry has struggled to recover from COVID. And, and 
what many people don't recognize is there are so many partners involved in allowing and enabling passengers to travel by air. And, and many of those partners have struggled. But what I can say from the Porter perspective is, as you talk about kind of recovering out of COVID, yeah. Porter has fully recovered from COVID. Uh, our business is very strong. We're doing very well. Uh, we have been able to maintain a good level of reliable service throughout our recovery from COVID. Our partners at YVR have been exceptional in welcoming us to Vancouver and to helping us establish ourselves there. And we have nothing but good things to say about our partners at YVR. Okay. You know what? More consumer choice is never a bad thing in my book. Thanks for coming on to talk about it today. I appreciate it. Thank you. We appreciate it, Mike. Have a good afternoon. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. All right, let's talk about contraband tobacco sales in British Columbia. This is spiking in our province right now, especially in the Okanagan. Apparently a lot of illegal cigarette sales there. We're talking black market tobacco, smuggled tobacco, a lot of it from organized crime. Have a listen to Weldon LeBlanc here from BC's Crime Stoppers. Contraband tobacco trade is a is a multi-billion dollar cash cow for organized crime and people wittingly or not um, need to realize that when they purchase contraband tobaccos they're actually funding organized crime okay how big of a problem is this let's check in with Corey holland now Corey is the owner of the oyama general store near Kelowna, and i'm very pleased to welcome him Corey. thanks a lot for coming on today Hi, Mike. Thanks a lot for having me this morning. You bet. Thanks for doing it. So let's talk about um, this co- these contraband tobacco sales. You're seeing this at your store, right? Like your legal tobacco sales have gone gone down. Yes. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, our sales are down uh, over 42% uh, going back as far as three years. And to put that into a dollar value, uh, tobacco sales uh, for our, our most recent year compared to 2019, we're down $150,000. Wow. Okay. In, so, in sales. 150, yeah, so that makes a difference in a small business, right? It, well, it does. And, yeah. and uh, you know, it's not just the tobacco sales, unfortunately, that you're losing out on. Um, you know, p- people have routines in the morning or on their way home from work. And if they're not stopping here to buy their cigarettes, you know, you're losing out on, a, you know, selling a coffee in the morning or a, a pack of gum in the afternoon or a pop. You know, it, it has right. uh, it's had a dramatic effect on on small business owners like ourselves. Right. OK, so if people are not buying their cigarettes from you, who are they buying from? Well, there's a misconception out there, Mike, that that, you know, people, you know, refer to them as indigenous smokes. You know, are you smoking those native smokes, those cheap ones, right? And they run about $5 a pack, uh, whereas our value brands in the store are running at $18 a pack. So, I mean, it's a huge difference. I I, I don't blame these people for, you know, they're on a budget, money's tight. If you can buy smokes for $13 cheaper than you get them at my store, you know, I'm not upset with the consumer. Um, where they're buying them typically is you're seeing these things they call, they refer to themselves as smoke shacks and they are on typically located on, on reservation land. Okay. Okay. And and this is where the misconception that they're, you know, that they're native smokes, indigenous smokes. uh, That is not true. 
Okay. And in fact, um, uh, you know, another uh, misconception about that and, and the indigenous peoples, they, it, 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 the reservations uh, are given a, a quota, monthly quota of, of cigarettes that they can sell um, to, to anyone with, with status, with indigenous status. Okay. Right, and those right. cigarettes run at about $10 a pack. Okay. And, and prior to the contraband tobacco, they would, you know, the, the, the reservations would go through those quotas in, in like the first 15 days of the month, you know, mm. now uh, we, you know, and, and we're being told that, that they're not even getting through their allotted uh, um, quotas in, in, you know, in a full month. So it's, it's had an effect on them as well. Okay, so is there tobacco smuggling going on? Like, is there, are there illegal smokes coming across the border? Well, what we, you know, and again, you know, I'm just a small business owner in, in the Okanagan, but what we've been yeah. told is, is that it is, um, you know, organized crime is behind it. Um, they're being produced. Uh, again, you know, what we've been told is, is uh, there was factories back in Quebec and Ontario, and where is where they are produced, and they are shipped across uh, Canada. I, I've heard they've been they, they ship into the states as well, but they they're definitely coming into BC from back east. And um, it sounds like the the people that are distributing them, as far as as, as we've been told, they're paying like thirty dollars a carton, so three dollars a pack, and they're wow. selling them for fifty dollars a carton, five dollars a pack. Fifty. Do- okay, hang on a second here. Fifty dollars a carton. How much would you sell? How much would you sell a carton of cigarettes for? Legal cigarettes. Well, like I said, our value brands. Uh, yeah. We have three different value brands, and they run eighteen dollars after tax. So there's ten packs in a carton, so it'd be one hundred and eighty dollars. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. So now you're <laughs> yeah, talking I mean, a major difference here. Yeah. Well, yeah, and and like if if you think about it, like I don't, you know, you you have to kind of and look at what organized crime has done. They lost the category of cannabis to the federal government uh, oh. five years ago. And I guess like any business owner, they had to figure out a way to replace that category. And they've, they've uh, stumbled onto tobacco. And then, I mean, you know, they are doing a very good job. Okay, let's have another listen to another clip here of Weldon LeBlanc from Crime Stoppers BC. Now you'll hear him talk here, Corey, about the problem of the these illegal tobacco and cigarette sales in the Okanagan region where you are. Let's have a listen to what he has to say, and then we'll get your thoughts. We're talking throughout uh, the entire Okanagan region, from Osoyoos up through to Kamloops. It's uh, a lot of complaints, uh, specifically from the convenience store sector, uh, who um, report. Uh, regular activities and a lot of activities in the contraband tobacco trade. Okay, is the Okanagan a hot spot for contraband illegal tobacco sales, Corey? Is that your impression? Oh, 100%. Yeah, like, I mean, it is literally the Wild West, Mike. You know, there is, there basically is no enforcement happening. Um, you know, I've tried calling the RCMP. Um, uh, CSU, that's the community safety unit. Um, you know, these people, you know, basically what we're trying to do is raise awareness and we're pushing, you know, the government, uh, you know, to, for legislation that would allow the RCMP to, you know, enforce, um, you know, levy fines, you know, right now, if somebody gets caught with illegal cigarettes, I mean, it's, 
you know, they don't, they don't even take them away. Like they just, they don't have the jurisdiction or whatever. They're, they're not able to uh, police it. You know, it, it's like I said, it's, it's the wild west up here. You know, there was a, a fellow who uh, was uh, busted in Vernon. Um, uh, he was pulled over and stop. He didn't have a driver's license. And he had a trailer full of 7,500 cartons of these cigarettes. Whoa. You know? Yeah. You know, and that's, that's a street value at $5 a pack of $375,000. You know? And this is, this is just one guy with a, you know, he doesn't even have a driver's license. So you, you know how rapid distribution is. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're advertising on, on Facebook. You can, you can purchase these cigarettes. One of the members, I'm, I'm a, a rural liquor store, and uh, there's about, you know, like there's 230 of us in the province. And one of our board members ordered three cartons of these cigarettes online, and they were delivered to his door in two days by Canada Post. Oh. And there's no, de- and there's no delivery charge. Well, that's so very, that's, we- that is very convenient, isn't it? I'm, I'm taking a well, look at the... Uh- the website, you know, stores like your own are kind of fighting back on this. I'm looking at a website called retailersforsafecommunities.ca, and right. the camp, the campaign here for something to be done about this. And what specifically would you like to see from from the provincial government? I mean, we've got a provincial budget coming up here in a few days. Like you're asking the province for some help too, right? Yeah, we yeah we need the government to, um, you know, pass legislation that is going to allow someone to um, enforce these, you know, the tobacco laws. Basically, tobacco is regulated by the Minister of Finance, Ministry of Finance. And so there's no, you know, they don't have a set group. Like for myself, Mike, I have uh, health inspectors coming in here, uh, checking me on tobacco. I have liquor inspector coming in, you know, checking me on liquor sales. I have BC Lotto in here trying to catch me, you know, selling to an underage uh, uh, person purchasing Lotto. Yeah. So, there, you know, our store, we are regulated on everything we sell. For the contraband tobacco guys, like I said, it's the Wild West. They, they, they are getting away with, with uh, you know, not murder, but I mean... Speak- Speaking of um, underage kids, like when you have these type of black market kind of illegal cigarette sales, is there potential that underage, underage kids are buying smokes? Well, I, I'm sure there is. I mean, in fact, yeah. I would I, I would be willing to bet on it because again, they're not they're not um, under the microscope of of, uh, of any government entity, right? They're just trying to sell you know sell these smokes to as many people as they can sure yeah you know i mean you know i i I know this for sure you know i have kids that are in their teens you know and and uh you know they may not have a 20 dollar bill in their pocket but you know they usually have a five (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know what i mean just just on an affordability uh, alone you know it's going to open a door to underagers okay from being able to afford it you know Corey, thank you for coming on to talk about it today. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for having us, Mike. Thank you for helping us uh, raise some awareness out there. Appreciate it.
Okay, let's keep talking about illegal underground black market tobacco sales in B.C. Seems to be quite uh, peaking in the Okanagan right now, according to Corey Holland there, owner of the Oyama General Store near Kelowna. He says his business has really got hammered by illegal tobacco sales in the community. We've got... um, We'll talk more about this with Eric Gagnon in a minute here. Have a listen to more of Weldon LeBlanc, BC Crime Stoppers. And you heard you heard Corey talk about the price difference between legal and illegal cigarettes. Hey, you, know, you can understand why people are buying black market cigarettes if they can save this much money. Have a listen to Weldon LeBlanc here. The, uh, the pricing of legal cigarettes it increases over the years through increased taxing and so on. So the differential between a carton of legal cigarettes and a carton of illegal cigarettes is very appealing to the average person. Yeah, sure, you can understand why. Let's check in with Eric Gagnon now, Vice President, Legal Affairs, Imperial Tobacco Canada. Eric, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Okay, how big of an issue is this? Like, when we look at those price differences there, maybe you could comment on that first. Like, how much are these... How much cheaper are these illegal cigarettes? Uh, a lot cheaper because you buy... I, I, BC is probably where the tobacco prices are the highest in uh, in Canada. A uh, legal carton of cigarettes, so 200 cigarettes would be around $180. What we see in the market is you can buy the same amount of cigarettes illegally for around $45. So that's that's the incentive for consumers to buy the illegal products, Right. Um, and we knew this was coming. I mean, you know, the government in D.C. increased tobacco taxes 44 percent in the last four years. And we've we've met with them earlier and we told them that this is a, uh, a recipe for disaster. We've seen it in the past in Quebec. We've seen it in Ontario. We've played, you know, we've seen this movie before. But obviously, because we're a tobacco company, they didn't want to listen to us. And now the province is stuck with the contraband issue. Yeah, I mean, you know, when we talk about big tobacco, I guess there will not be a whole lot of public support or sympathy for big tobacco, I guess. But, you know, I don't think you're going to see any government reduce tobacco taxes. So what, well, what we is... We never advocated for that. Uh, but what we're saying governments across Canada is we understand why they want to increase uh, taxes because it is a harmful product, right? Um, right. On the other hand, what we, we advocate for is a progressive and moderate excise on an annual basis so quebec is a good example they didn't yesterday they announced an eight dollar increase on a current but they hadn't taken any excise increase for the last 10 years i mean this is just ridiculous and so it's the same thing that we're advocating across canada is you know put in place a mechanism that you're going to increase taxes moderately every year um but don't shock the market with four five or eight dollars and this is what drives consumers to the illegal products Right. What about a crackdown, like a legal crackdown by police or border officials on these uh, these black market cigarettes? Is that something you advocate for? Yeah, well, there's a model that actually works well, which is uh, was introduced in Quebec initially lo- around 10 years ago. Um, so BC, what we are advocating for is the first thing is they need to put in place a dedicated task force to address contraband um, and they need to give them more power. Right. Um, so, for example, powers. Uh, uh, in terms of the ability to stop and search vehicles, even if they don't see product, uh, that is really helpful because otherwise they need to call finance. It's very complicated, right? So giving them more powers and putting in place a task force would be the first step. And then try to discuss with Ontario because all the illegal products are coming from Ontario all the way to Western Canada. 
So these are a couple of things that we've been advocating for. Um, initially, uh, I think BC and the province uh, had their head in the sand when we first started talking about this. Um, but they're, you know, they're seeing it. I mean, every year now they have a, a shortfall in their tobacco tax revenues. Um, they're losing money uh, across Canada. Governments are losing $2 billion. So to your point earlier, Mike, if nobody's going to cry for big tobacco, um, at least, you know, people should uh, keep an eye on this because, you know, that's money that could be used in, uh, in, in uh, the public system. And also, oh, yeah. uh, it's organized crime group. The RCMP says there's 175 organized crime groups dealing illegal tobacco. So basically what BC has done is just let organized crime groups, uh, you know, start taking over and, uh, you know, enter the, um, the communities in British Columbia. So that's, that's what's happening right now. Okay, I appreciate your time today. Thank you for coming on to talk about it. We're going to follow this one closely here. Appreciate it. Thanks for your time. All right, let's talk about sleep disorders now. And experts across North America reporting that more and more people reporting sleep problems. You think about the long list of sleep disorders now. Insomnia, sleep apnea. Do you have trouble getting your kids to go to sleep at night? How many hours of sleep should you get every night anyway? What is the recommended guideline there? I occasionally struggle with a a sleepless night. I think a lot of people do. I don't think it's ever been a big clinical problem for me, though. But, boy, I've talked to lots of people who have really struggled with this. Let's talk to let's talk about it with one of Canada's top experts now, Dr. Jonathan Sheray. Dr. Sheray is a specialist sleep medicine and sleep sleep behavioral uh, studies at the Center for Sleep and Human Performance at the University of Calgary. I'm very pleased to welcome him back to the show, Dr. Sheray. Thanks for coming on today. Well, thank you for having me for a second time. It's my pleasure to be here. Oh, it's great to have you again. Let's talk a little bit about some of the more common sleep disorders that people report like is ins- insomnia basically at the, the top of the list people just can't get to sleep at night absolutely by a wide margin insomnia is the uh, most prevalent sleep uh, disorder that we see here at the clinic and to a close second we will have sleep apnea so i'm sure everyone is already thinking about the CPAP device so yes the two insomnia and sleep apnea sleep obstructive apnea is the two most prevalent uh, sleep disorder right now. Right. So when we talk about insomnia, what's the kind of the, the, the clinical definition of that? Because, you know, I occasionally have a, a bad night. I don't have a good night's sleep, but it probably happens to everybody now and then. But if someone has insomnia, is that typically someone who struggles like every night to get to sleep? So essentially, if you want the uh, clear official definition, it's someone that will have difficulty initiating sleep inside 30 minutes three times per week for more than three consecutive months with daytime impairment. The daytime impairment is very important here. If you don't have daytime impairment or daytime dysfunction, you're talking about symptoms of insomnia instead of the syndrome. So we need to make the distinction. There's also the uh, acute insomnia. So someone that will have these symptoms, but they will uh, dissipate within a month or so. Uh, that is very common. And then you have also insufficient sleep that is sometimes mistaken for insomnia, which is someone that is not sleeping the recommended hour, feels tired the following day. But there is a very fast cure for that, which is go back to your normal schedule of sleep. Right. When you talk about that kind of daytime impairment, 
what does that include? Is like difficulty getting your work done, your daily routine done because you're so tired? Absolutely. It's someone that will notice that the uh, uh, his condition, his uh, work performance, his athletic performance, his mood uh, is uh, decreased because of his poor sleep or his inability to initiate or maintain sleep. So this is the first uh, complaint that we're looking at when uh, we're looking for insomnia is the patient in front of us uh, is having trouble functioning to the anticipated level. Let's, let's talk a little bit about sleep apnea. This is something I think is maybe more common than people realize. What are the what are the symptoms there? So uh, you will have a daytime impairment again. So you may have someone that sleeps eight hours throughout the night, but unfortunately for that individual, he has difficulty breathing. Yeah. So even though you're sleeping eight, nine, even 10 hours, if you feel unrefreshed the following day, you're most likely dealing with non-restorative sleep or maybe sleep apnea. And in that eventuality, you need to be assessed by a sleep physician to make sure that it is sleep apnea so that you can have the appropriate care provided to you, which is either a CPAP, an APAP, or any other, uh, or a dental appliance, for example. Right. Right. How many hours of sleep should you get every night? What is the recommended number? So the National Sleep Foundation is recommending uh, between seven and nine hours per night for an individual age between 18 and 64 years old. So for a grown-up, so for an adult, a full mature adult, between seven and nine hours. Seven and nine hours. I'm sure there are people listening thinking, boy, I would love to be able to get that much sleep every night. Like, Do you find as people get older, they need less sleep or they tend to sleep, get up earlier? They will definitely get up earlier. We, we see this quite frequently for uh, adult, elderly, 65 and older. They will go in what we call an advanced sleep phase. So they will go to bed earlier and wake up earlier. But nevertheless, the recommended number of hours is still between seven and eight hours for uh, the elderly population. Right. right. Speaking of Dr. Jonathan Charay, Center for Sleep at the University of Calgary. Let's talk about some of the more common cures or treatments that people try. So I've I once knew someone who slept with a uh, one of those black masks over your eyes. Do, do those work? Yeah, they do, in fact. Okay. So uh, we just noticed that people uh, sleeping with, with masks, with, uh, with earplugs, wax earplugs to uh, shield from noise. So the mask essentially will shield you completely from any light intrusion. And there is more and more data, in fact, coming uh, on the uh, scientific uh, community demonstrating that there is, in fact, a improvement of the sleep architecture for those sleeping with an eye mask. So it's a very cheap way to improve your sleep to some fashion. It's not a cure. Let's right. be very clear on that. It's not a treatment. It's a layer of improvement, a layer of optimization. If you have insomnia, you're not going to cure insomnia with an eye mask. I want to make that very clear. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's certainly worth a shot, though. Like you said, is a cheap alternative. How about melatonin? Yeah, I know a lot of people tr take melatonin. Do you recommend that? Absolutely not. Oh. So melatonin should be taken only and exclusively under the recommendation of a sleep physician. 
So melatonin is meant to shift your circadian rhythm. In other words, it's a time shifter, not a sleep inducer. So there's a lot of misconception around melatonin. And most people that we see in the clinic, they are either taking way too much melatonin, which is five milligram or higher, and they're taking way too late, which is at bedtime. Mm. So general rule, you should not use more than one milligram of melatonin per night, and it should be used between 90 and 120 minutes, or an hour and a half and two hours before the anticipated bedtime. And again, this is a recommendation for adults. Any teenager, young kid, toddler should not touch melatonin unless advised by a sleep physician. Why is that? Why is that particularly for a young person? For a young person, because they are still in development. So their melatonin secretion is probably as high as it will ever be. The problem probably resides in the scheduling of sleep and the conceptualization of sleep. And now you're just driving them on melatonin, which will most likely have no impact on them. And then you're opening the door to harder uh, drugs later on, such as trazodone, zopicon, and so on and so forth, because they have learned that the sleep solution resides inside a pill instead of their own behavior and control. All right, welcome back. My guest, Dr. Jonathan Charest, Center for Sleep, University of Calgary. Lots of calls to him. Carrie in New West. Hi, Carrie. Go ahead. Hey, uh, I'm really intrigued by this discussion. Um, so I'm in my early 40s on sort of the first wave of perimenopause, and I really find it's affecting my sleep. And I find that the, there's a common thread amongst my friends kind of going through the same thing. And uh, I wondered if, if your guest had any solutions for that or thoughts on that? Dr. Shere. Uh We see that very frequently. So the uh, premenopausal uh, woman that there is a uh, acute shift in, this, in your sleep pattern. So it's important to remember that you are going through a phenomenal hormonal change. So therefore, a lot of things will also follow suit in terms of change. So you will have, my opinion would be definitely to first have an assessment with your family doctor, but in terms of sleep, it will be to focus on the relaxation to begin with. Uh, make sure that your uh, bedroom is entirely fresh because you may start your hot flashes. And we're noticing also that a uh, weighted blanket seems to have a bigger effect in your uh, age group for some reason. There is no hard data on that. This is purely, purely anecdotal from a clinical observation. So these would be the first uh, three things I would do, but definitely I would ask a uh, referral for my family physician and have a little assessment over my sleep and notice what are the type of sleep change you're having. So difficulty falling asleep or maintaining your sleep, and then you can have an individualized strategy developed for you. Gary, thank you for the call. I hope that helps a bit. A weighted blanket, that, yeah, certainly sounds like that would be worth a try. John and Victoria. Hi, John, go ahead. Oh, hi, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Um, sure. I just had a question for the doctor. I've had a, a number of sleep studies done, and um, and the my my AHI number is just below the cutoff for mild apnea. And my doctor won't write me a prescription to test to see if that might be the problem, even though I've checked out everything else and nothing seems to uh, be related to my sleep issue. Hmm. Uh, lots to uncover here. So first, the type of this sleep study you went through. So would it be what we call a level one, which is in a sleep laboratory, 
or was it A-level 3, which is a device that you bring home? If it's below the cutoff of mile, which is below 5 AHI, it is very unlikely that it is the uh, sleep apnea problem. Having said that, it also depends on which device did capture your uh, AHI. So if it's a level 1, this is a golden standard. If it's level 3, you may want to investigate for a level 1. Assuming it is a level 1, then you may be faced with what we call non-restorative sleep. So this will require a, uh, an appointment with a sleep physician to investigate just a little bit more thoroughly. And I hope that helps you, John. Susan in North Vancouver. Hi, Susan. Go ahead. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. But I have a medical condition. Really, I don't think there's much help. I do go to sleep right away, but I only sleep for maybe four or five hours if I'm lucky. And then I'm okay for a couple hours. I go back to sleep for another an hour or two. But I have calls. So I've talked to my specialist. He said... I told them, because I have gut pain in the middle of the night, that, um, you know, it's okay to take a Tylenol, so I do do that, and that does help sometimes. But my family doctor told me to take melatonin, and I have been, and it has made a bit of a difference in that when I first go to bed, I sleep longer. Okay, did you, so did you say... Else did, I can do. Did you say you get gut, gut pain at night, Susan? Yeah, I have Crohn's gut, disease. Crohn's disease, okay, Dr. Shure. Yeah, so Crohn disease is one of these highly inflammatory uh, situations, disease. Of course, this brings a load of challenge. To some degree, yes, melatonin can help control a certain degree of, of pain. But again, I would not put too much on that. Uh, in terms of the awakening, with someone with Crohn disease, I will expect between two and four awakening per night, and it is entirely normal. So the, the challenge here is to make sure that those awakening remain in a, a normal window of 30-ish minutes. There is absolutely no problem with taking a break from sleep if it's to control the pain and make sure that you reduce the number of fragmentation. So take, getting out of bed, a uh, glass of water, uh, just eating a, a bite just to calm down the, the, the gut uh, inflammation and resuming your sleep after would have no problem with this. But again, of course, you should follow your uh, primary care provider uh, recommendation. And yes, melatonin may have some help to a certain degree. Susan, good luck with that. Uh, let's squeeze in one more. Jim, Jim is calling from Blue River. Jim, you got 30 seconds here, okay? You'll have to keep it a little short. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I just find that I work 12 to 14 hours a day, and by the time I get back, I'm in camp. I get back to my room to go to sleep, and I roll around for hours because I can't shut my mind off. Is there like a practice to do to kind of eliminate that? Dr. Sheree, we got, a, we got a minute left here. Go ahead. All right, so absolutely. So shift work or prolonged shift work, most people, they rush to bed excessively quickly and too quickly, in fact. So you want to practice relaxation, meditation, mindfulness, breathing exercise before hitting the bed. Do not hit the bed if you're not sleepy. It's not a race for your bed. Take a good 30 minutes to wind down and then go to sleep or try to go to sleep. Not before that. Okay, so meditation, is that something you can learn on your own? Definitely, there is a lot of tool available uh, on the internet. You have NSDR from Dr. Uberman that is freely accessible. There is plenty of tool, Edspace, Calm app, there are for a tool for everyone out there. 
Dr. Sheree, we have more calls coming in, so we'll just have to have you back. Uh, thank you for coming on today. Absolutely. Back anytime for, uh, for the radio show. Thanks for listening to the Mike Smith Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop. Tune into the show live from 9 to noon on 980 CKNW. Want to reach out to me personally with a question or comment? Send me an email, mike at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.